I am so grateful to be back with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Pastor Craig and I, we, we have been in Ethiopia for the last, uh, I guess, week and last week as well. And uh, it was an incredible trip. Uh, an incredible trip. Uh, we went with a team from e uh, EFCA Reach Global, that's their names, uh, partnering in Ethiopia. And we went as, a, as just to to see what the potential was for a church in San Antonio, Texas, Stone Oak Bible Church, to be a part of planting churches across the globe in, in Africa. And so we went, and I, honestly, church, I can't express the need for the gospel there. It was more obvious than it had ever been in, in all my trips there. Uh, we spent our time in two of the largest cities. So first in their capital city, uh, which is Addis Ababa. There's four million plus people living in a city that is about a third of, si of the size of San Antonio. Just unbelievable. There are people everywhere. Uh, we were there for some, and then we also went to a different city called Bahadar, which is north of that city. Beautiful place. Uh, we spent our time in, primarily there in... It was, a, it was kind of a preliminary trip to kind of survey the possibilities. So we met with several ministries, several ministry leaders. It was meeting, 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 meeting uh, while we were there, which was, really, which was really a great thing. Through our time there, though, and I mean this, we felt like God directed our conversations. We went with an idea of what we wanted the trip to be like, and it was nothing like what we went thinking it would be, which was a good thing. Uh, and so we, we began through all of our meetings to feel like God was leading us to a specific partnership, a specific way that we can get involved, uh, specifically in the city of Bahadar. Uh, now, we're working on a time to, to where we can really lay out details of this, of this trip and potential partnership. But for now, let me just say this. God is doing incredible things in this city. And it's being done underground. It's a subtle movement that is growing. And I can't tell you, it was, it was an incredible thing to be a part of. We're going to share more uh, as we go. I'm going to share more about our trip as we kind of move forward. But today, I want you to know I am so excited to be here. And this is an exciting time to be a part of this church. Uh, we're stepping into a season where we are going to start to see some, God do some unique things, things that I've never done before. And, and it is just a time, I think, as a church that we can look and say, God, you're doing something. And I feel like that's the time that we are in right now as a church. Uh, for now, I am, I am looking forward to jumping into our series on the Psalms of David, picking up where, uh, where my dad left off, which, by the way, that was, that was pretty cool. Um, ideally, I would have liked to have been here when he leaves his church, leaves his ministry, puts it on pause to come here, serve us, and he did a phenomenal job, and I was across the, the globe, which, which was a bummer, but I listened to what he spoke about online, and it was phenomenal, and it was right for us, and more than that, I think it was timely for us, and so I was so grateful for that, and this morning, I'm going to do my best to pick up where Pastor Craig and also where my dad has left us off. Um, we're going to talk about fear, this morning. 
fear. More specifically, we're going to talk about the antidote of fear. Uh, the antidote is defined, as you know, as something that, that you take in order to counteract a particular poison. Well, for us this morning, the poison we're going to look at is fear. And uh, let me just, I'm just going to put all cards on the table. This was a really difficult message for me to prepare for. This message, more than any I think I've preached, uh, in recent memory, hit very close to home with me. Uh, it, was, it was one that um, I feel like God was directing what I was studying at me. So I spent most of my time, I think, in prep wrestling, uh, which, which, was, which was good. It was something I needed to hear. I, I want to pray for us, and then we'll jump in this morning into, into our text. Let me pray. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for what you're doing here. Thank you for what you allowed us to see that you are at work, not only here in San Antonio, Texas, but also throughout this entire globe. Thank you that your gospel is alive in cultures not anything like ours, but that your gospel reaches to the ends of the earth. I thank you for bringing all nations to yourself. Give us wisdom on how we can participate in your work. And God, this morning I pray for wisdom on how we handle your word. I pray you open our eyes. I pray you open our ears. I pray you show us things in us that you would like to see change for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So a couple weeks ago, Craig looked at Psalm 52. Uh, in Psalm 52, he talked about the backstory of, of that psalm was David traveling to this little priest city called Nod. Uh, he, he goes there, he meets with a, a priest named Ahimelech. And you remember this? It was, this is not one of the highlights of David's. This is not on his highlight reel, I promise you. Uh, David deceives him a little bit. He deceives him a little bit. If you, if you don't remember the story, uh, you get this, this sense that Ahimelech kind of knows that he's being deceived, but he kind of goes for it. So David comes in, and he, in his visit, convinces the priest. He asks, do you have weapons for me? Because I had to leave in a hurry, which is not true. Uh, deceiving him. And, and I just need weapons. And the priest, I mean, let's, let's think about this. This is a priest city. These priests weren't packing heat normally. Um, they didn't, usually they weren't armed, right? Um, and so David convinces him to give him a sword, but it wasn't just any sword. If you remember, this was the sword of Goliath, like David and Goliath, right? Um, this was a sword, it was a, it was a symbol of courage and God doing, they kept it in the temple. It was this symbol that God provided and this little shepherd boy did something bold for his nation. Uh, so David takes hold of this sword, this symbol, right? The, the, the brave shepherd boy versus the beast of a giant man, the, the slingshot versus the, the warrior with the, the finest armor, right? And so David takes Goliath's sword, and that's where our story picks up. Uh, and so now what I want to look at, we're in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 21, verses 10 through 15. Uh, you can turn there if you want. We're not going to be there long. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of summarize these five verses. That's where our story picks up. So we have our man David uh, carrying 
this sword into a city called Gath to a king called Achish. Now, this is significant. Why? Well, because of the sword he's carrying. So it just so happens that Gath is the hometown of our boy Goliath. So this is his hometown. And it, it also just so happens that, that David was, was kind of the enemy of, Philist, of the Philistines. And so picture this. You have David walking up. I mean, he must have looked like the man. Right? Walking into their city, his enemy's city, the warrior of Israel walking into his enemy city, holding the very sword of their fallen hero that he slayed in battle. David looks like just an absolute beast in this, but that doesn't last long. Um, the servants of the king start to remind the king of what this man was capable of. So they start singing this, this song to remind him about the legend that David was. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And keep in mind the thousands there, those are his people. So uh, thousands of his people died at their hand. And so the people are reminding him of who this man was. It was an incredible scene. Keep it in mind because things change rapidly for David. So now David in this moment becomes overcome by fear. So he knew that this doesn't look good. And he, he felt that he was overcome by fear. Verse 12, it says he was much afraid. And because of this, David comes up with a pretty awesome plan. So let's look at it. Verse 13 says, so he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let spittle run down his beard. There's our warrior, right? There he is, spittling at the gate. And I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm coining it. He is spittling at the gate. Um, our warrior, God's man, is now in this humiliation moment where he's faking like he's insane, foaming, at the mouth. So what happened? What happened that took the bold shepherd boy to now the, that guy um, at the gate? Uh, it was fear. It was fear. He was much afraid. Fear from Saul, fear from the Philistines. It was fear. It had taken this mighty man, brought him to his knees, and caused him to do something that he would probably never have thought he would do. It was fear. Uh, verse 14 Achish said to his servants, behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? I love this. Do I lack madmen? Is there not enough crazy people already in my city? Why do I need another? Um, that you've brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence. Shall this fellow come into my house? The answer is no, and David is released. Um, I love this story. As I said, it's not one of David's highlight reels. I promise you this isn't one he's you know, bragging about uh, later on in life. But this happens to be the backdrop of our psalm this morning. So Psalm 34, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and, and get there with me. Um, psalm 34 was written after David was out of the city of Gath. So after all of the spittling and after all the kicking out, he writes Psalm 34, okay? Uh, so with that in mind, as you read this for the first time, as I read this for the first time, I wrestled with something. 
this doesn't seem like it came from the same man. This doesn't seem like it came from the same man. So, so David, who just came from that kind of humiliating backdrop, right, is now writing these words that seem like they come from a really confident man, a really confident man. So considering the backdrop, the thing I had to ask myself and wonder is, is how do we take David's words seriously here? Can we be honest? Like, would you take someone seriously who just did that and now is telling you how good God is and it, you would struggle? There's a disconnect there. How do you harmonize the situation of 1 Samuel with the words of Psalm 34? That was the question that instantly came to my mind as I looked at this. Uh, because how do we account for these confident words? How do we account for it? Because the truth is, we're going to talk a lot about this here, but fear drives us to do things that we would not otherwise do. It drives us to do things that we would not otherwise do. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever been there? Uh, my guess is that David, David never would have expected that he would be the guy at the gate. He would never have seen that coming. He would never have expected that. But fear can make us do things that we would never otherwise do. But let me ask you a question, though, going off of that. Has God ever stepped into your life when you needed him? Stepped in, delivered you from something when you did nothing to contribute to it. In fact, you were in the middle of foolishness. You were in the middle of doubt. You were in the middle of maybe you were even in sin and God comes in, steps in based on nothing you've done and pulls you out because he is good. Has God ever done that in your life? I think of a time in my life, instantly, I thought of a time in my life uh, when we were newly married. We were trying to find our way about finances, right? And newlyweds, young, we, you tend to make really good financial decisions. Uh, but we were finding our way. We made some of the dumbest decisions. I look back on it now, and I'm like, why could I have been so, so stupid? That was not good. But in one of those times, I remember we got ourselves into a predicament, and, and God used people who were wiser than us, some of the most generous people in the world. And in that moment when we were not smart, and when we were hurting, they rallied around us, and they helped us. And God used them to deliver us from our own stupidity. I thought of that moment instantly, because in that moment, we did nothing but make things worse. Like, we did nothing to contribute to this. That we're it, was, it was grace. And that's what just happened in David's life. So David goes through that awful moment. He's kicked out of the city. He looks back on it now and says, God, you delivered me. Despite of me, you, you delivered me. Um, God, looking back, David looks back on the fact that God was good even though he wasn't, that God was faithful even though he was fearful. He looks back and he sees that. He looks back on God's work. He's broken because of it, and that is the ground that Psalm 34 is written on. That is the ground that Psalm 34 is written on. It's, it's from a man who looks back and sees nothing good he has done, but sees everything good that God has done in his life. And that's where we step into Psalm 34. Um, 
I love this before we get into this because in this psalm, we're going to see that David doesn't make an attempt to cover up for his foolishness. He doesn't make an attempt to save face. Um, he doesn't make an attempt to make excuses. It, like I said, it's not the most awesome time in his life. It's not going great, but he doesn't make an attempt to justify any of that. Instead, he just l- comes to God in his failure and calls God good and calls God the deliverer. Um, oftentimes, just FYI, in our walk with Christ, we're going to come through those times where we look and we've done nothing good, but we look at a good God. And that's where, that's where David found himself, that God is good when we aren't. And that's stuck out to me just because David was in the middle of this whole thing, and he just doesn't try to save face. He just realizes that God is good. And if there's ever anything we needed to realize often, it's this, because isn't that the gospel? Like that's the very essence of what we hold to is the gospel, that you who are not good, who have done nothing good, God intervenes because he is good and saves us. That's the gospel. That's, that's what we hold on to. In this psalm, David realizes this. His response is praise. His response was confidence in God. Uh, verse 18, I, I love this. He says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, saves the crushed in spirit. His brokenness before God often leads to boldness. And, and David just doesn't attempt to cover or make excuses for his brokenness. It, it's, we look at these words of the psalm, um, and we're going to look at some of these verses. We're going to see a common thread here. We're going to see a common thread here. And I, I, I challenge you, follow along with me. It's a long passage, so I'm not going to be able to get to every verse. But what I want you to do is I'm going to scan down. And you're going to see things that I'm not even highlighting that you're like, you should have highlighted that because it's all really good. So as I'm going down, follow along with me if you have your Bibles. And, and let's just look at a few of these. So considering what happened in David's life, we, we start off with, I will bless the Lord at all times. It's a good way to start. Um, verse four, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. And what did he do? He delivered me from all of my fears. Verse 6, this poor man cried. He's identifying himself as this poor man. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. I love verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Carrying on, verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack nothing. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, verse 18, and saves the crushed in spirit. Verses 19 through 22. How many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But listen to the way he ends. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So what happened to this man? He realized that the goodness of God was present in his shortcomings. And this is a beautiful realization. And from this text, I want us to think through two things this morning. That's all we're going to do. We're going to hit two things together. Okay. The first one is this. David points us 
yes to the deliverance of, from his situation. He wasn't in a great place. He was delivered from Gath. That was not a good place. He, his very life was, was in the balance there. He points us to the fact that God delivered him from that, but it's not only that. God also delivered him from his fears in the middle of that. Not only did he deliver him from his physical situation, but his fears. This is huge because more amazing than God just delivering his life was the fact that our God has the ability, and I needed to hear this, God has the ability to conquer the biggest threat that we have, which is our own fear in our heart. Uh, in this psalm, we, we see this all throughout this psalm. I love verse four, though, where he says, I sought the Lord, and he, he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. And if you think about this and you bring this to our life today, no matter what you're facing, no matter what danger, no matter what circumstance you're in, no matter what, you serve a God who not only has the ability to deliver you from the danger you're in, but you serve a God who has the ability to deliver your mind from the fear that just grabs it and cripples. You serve a God who delivers you from fear in the middle of anything that you're going through. This is honestly one of the most beautiful, most distinguishing things that it, that it is to be a follower of Jesus, that we don't walk in fear because our Lord uh, pulls us, delivers us from fear, and he provides us with a peace that's beyond comprehension. Second uh, Timothy 1.7 reminds us that God did not give you that spirit of fear that you have. He didn't give that to you, that he gave you one of power, love, and of self-control. He reminds us of that. And let me just be honest with you again. This is a message I needed to hear because it's like God turned on a light bulb that I don't need to let fear and anxiety run their course. It's almost like I'm a victim to it at times. It's the way I, I think I can think about this, where I just think, well, I'll get through it. I'll let it run its course. It's almost like God turned on a light bulb and said, no, you are not a victim to fear. You're a child of God. And I deliver from fear and anxiety. I think one of the most effective tools that the enemy has in his arsenal is fear. It is fear. It is anxiety, fear of the unknown, fear of failure, fear of loss, fear of fill in the blank. Uh, honestly, I find myself spending 90% of my time fearing about things that never happen. Are you there? Like, I just, God is showing me so much in this time. And, and many of you know this, I'm just gonna state this. Fearful should not be the adjective that describes you as a child of God. Fearful should not be that adjective that describes you as a child of God. I, as I was preparing and, and reading, I, I found an article, I found several articles actually. Depending on what survey you reference, anywhere between, and this is about American Christians, okay? So the church in America, anywhere between 18 to 25% of American Christians deal with ongoing fear and anxiety. This is from several studies that came out, and it kind of ranged between that, that number. Uh, and this does include the approximate 10% who have been clinically diagnosed with some form of anxiety or depression related because of it. Um, so let's, for the sake of easy math, let's take a nice whole number, go on the low side, 20%, okay? 
One out of five. One out of five. Let's bring it home. One out of five of the people who walk through our door today struggle with this. This is their struggle, statistically. That's on the low side. Um, What we know is that for approximately one out of every five people who walk through our door, this is the tool that the enemy is actively using in our lives. This is it. This is the tool. But God is our deliverer. God is our deliverer. And like David, he's not only able to deliver us from the the stuff that is going on in our life, he's able to deliver us mentally from the fear that has us shackled. Uh, Not only does does fear impact us with anxiety, but I mentioned this earlier, it affects our ability to make decisions it affects our ability to make decisions. We don't tend to make awesome decisions when they're just clouded by fear. We don't tend to make our best decisions. I, I think several years ago, someone asked me a question that stuck with me uh, to this day. It was, uh, Candace and I were in a season of life where we knew that God was calling us to step into something that was a bit of an unknown. It was about nine years ago. And uh, we, we both had great jobs. I was working in an architectural office with doors, and it was, it was good. Uh, she had a great job. We were, we were, I was on staff at a church plant. Things were going really well, and life was, was good. It was, we were newlyweds. It was awesome, except for the financial decisions that I mentioned earlier. Things were great. We were, we were, doing, we were doing well. Uh, in the midst of that, though, I, I began to feel like God was, was calling me. To something else. And I, I began to feel this call specifically that God wanted me to pastor and to teach. More than that, though, that God wanted me right then to begin to prepare myself for future ministry. And I felt it. It was clear. And I didn't know what to do with it, but I felt that calling. I knew that part of my preparation was to go back to school. The difficult thing was is I had this sneaking suspicion that my boss wasn't going to be, you know, as excited as I was about my new calling. And uh, I was right. He wasn't. Um, I went in, and when I told them, uh, they informed me they, they, they needed me for the long term, that they weren't going to be flexible with my school because they know that when I finish my school, I'm gone, which is smart business sense, I guess. And so they weren't going to... to you know, bend for me to allow me to go back to school. And so I knew that saying yes to this unknown meant stepping out, uh, stepping out in a big way. And, and we were going to step out of some of the financial security, some of just the way of life we had in our first year of marriage, which was we, we were having a blast. And uh, I knew that things were going to change if I stepped out. And I remember someone uh, asked me this question. So Justin, what would you do if you were guaranteed to never run out of money and guaranteed never to face failure? What would you do? Instantly, almost without thinking, I answered, I would go to school, prepare myself for future ministry, and I would step into pastoral ministry. It was a no-brainer. And all of a sudden, I realized that question just helped me peel back layers of fear that I was justifying, but it helped me pull back some layers 
to see that the decision I was making was being clouded by fear that I justified as, hey, I'm leading my family. I don't want to make you know, bad decisions, um, which is good. You don't want to make bad decisions as a family because, like I said, I've made many. But um, it was in that moment that I felt like God was saying, I just showed you what I want you to do, and I've got this. I'm bigger than your fear in this moment. And as a, re- as a reality, um, <laughs> as a child of God, we should be among the most confident people on the planet. Because not in ourselves, but the fact that we can look back on thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years of God's faithfulness to his people, that we can look back on that and know that God will never fail us, leave us. He's not going to make an oops. We know that. We should be among the most confident people on the planet. But what fear does is it causes us to ignore that. It causes us to ignore the confidence that should be ours in Christ. It, it causes us to forget those promises. It, it causes us to, it drives us to make really puny decisions. It, it causes us to put safety above mission. Like that's, that's fear. That's what it does. Um, David was running for his life here in this psalm, yet here he reminds us that God is able to deliver us from fear. And that is incredibly good news. The second thing that I want us to see, and this is really big, and this is going to kind of bring it all together. Uh, At the beginning, we talked about fear being a poison, right? Talked about fear being a poison. We saw the way the poison caused David to spittle at the gate. We, we saw the way poison cripples our lives as well. Uh, if you hear nothing else from me this morning, this is it. The fear of the Lord is the antidote for the fear of anything else. Amen. The fear of the Lord is the antidote for the fear of anything else. The fear of the unknown, of a person, of a situation, of a circumstance, of loss, of death, of failure. You can fill in the, fill in the blank because the fear of the Lord is the antidote for that fear. David talks about the fear of the Lord often in, in this passage. I look at verse 7 where it says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who, what, who fear him and delivers them. Verse 9, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Verse 11, he looks at his life and he's, he's kind of entering in this teaching moment. He says, come, oh, children, listen to me. I will teach you. Fear, are you the fear of the Lord? Fear of the Lord. So the question is, what is that? That's a weird, weird phrase. Does fear of the Lord, what, what is that like, are we scared of him? Are we afraid of him? Our, that's weird, right? Because he's our loving father, sent his son, and, and you know now we're scared of him? What's going on there? How do we hold that in, in together? Well, no, fearing the Lord is not being scared of him. A fear of the Lord is having such an awe for him, a reverence, a respect for him, that it changes the way we live, but more importantly, it changes the way we think. Fearing the Lord has such, you're so fully aware of who God is, that he's holy, perfect, just, powerful, good, that it impacts our lives, our thoughts, our motives that we're not the same. That is fear of the Lord. Uh, So 
how do we counter fear in our lives? We fear the Lord, meaning we realize that we are standing before an all-powerful, all-good, all-just, holy, all-knowing, good God who loves us perfectly and completely, and we allow that realization to shape the way we see our world, to shape the way we see our situations, to shape the way we see the circumstances, because when we do that, the things that we fear, it's funny how they get smaller, smaller and smaller. Even the biggest fear in light of our God is smaller and smaller and smaller. Some of the fears that I wrestle with, you can't even see them. They're smaller and smaller. Um, And hear me, this is something that uh, I believe we need to hear. This is not a one-time application. This antidote is not a one-time application. It's a use-as-need application. There's going to be seasons and days in your life where you're going to have to remind yourself moment by moment who God is because fear is that strong. And you're going to have to remind yourself moment by moment who God is because the fear of the Lord is the antidote for the fear of anything and everything else. If you're here and maybe you're like me, you're dealing with fear in your life, you're struggling with some form of just anxiety about stuff, about life. Uh, Maybe you're here and you know you don't have anything to be afraid of, but you find yourself in fear. Maybe, or maybe you're here and you're facing something in your life that is terrifying. You're facing something in your life you've never faced before. Like David, things in your life are very serious, very serious. You have situations, circumstances that are huge, and it's causing incredible fear in your heart. My encouragement for all of us this morning, if I could challenge you with anything, is don't let the fear run its course. Don't let the fear run its course and control our thoughts Don't give fear your thoughts. Don't give fear your mind. Because God did not give us that spirit of fear. Take every thought captive. What does this look like? It means countering fear with the truth of who God is. Countering every fear with truth. The antidote for the fear that you face is the fear of the Lord. To counter fear with the truth of who God is and what he has promised you because I promise everything is small in light of it. And it's a moment-by-moment application to remind ourselves of who God is. As we feel the effects of poison, as we start to feel a little fearful, a little hesitant, a little anxiety, that should be the moment that we realize we need another application And that should drive us to our knees. It should drive us to our God because the fear of the Lord is the antidote for the fear of everything else. It should drive us to our God. That should be the trigger in our lives to run to him, to remind ourselves of the truth of the God that we serve because the darkness of fear is not able to remain in the light of who God is. It's not able to. It casts out all fear. God is able to deliver you from the fear that has a hold of you this morning. And the way he's chosen to do that, the way that he's chosen to deliver you is through himself. It's through himself. It's through the fear of the Lord.
Um, as I read through this, as I said, I believe this is an area that God has brought out in my life, in all honesty, that he's been working on me um, in a good way. And I feel like this is an area that God wants to get glory in my life. I think that this is an area that God wants to see changed for his glory. And my conversations with others, and as I've, as, as I've read, I've realized I am not alone in this. It feels like this is more common than I ever thought, and the statistics just kind of backed that up. Um, we are a people who often struggle with fear. We are a people who are crippled by fear. It is one of our enemy's favorite tools, and I feel like God wants us this morning, so many of us, to just, he's kind of laying us on his table and going to work. That we would be a people who are not content with letting fear run its course. It has no place. It has no place in our, in our life. And so I thought a good way for us to, to finish our time this morning is with prayer. And I'm not saying this as a simple closing to a message, okay? So, so this isn't the bookmark. You know, this is a moment for us, I think, to get serious about what God is doing to get serious about the work that he is doing. Um, this is the plea for God to teach us how to fear him. I want us together to, to go to God and ask him, Lord, deliver us from our fear and give us peace and a sound mind. That's what I want this moment to be. And so I just want the opportunity. Can I pray with you this morning as we finish our time and before we go into another song? God, we, we come to you so often like David in this story, having looked back on situations and realized, ah, fear gripped me. Looking back on, on wasted hours and wasted moments where we have just allowed fear and anxiety to take us to places that we know we don't need to go and we know it's not your will that we go. But we look back often and we see how our lives, that fear has caused us to do things that we would never have otherwise done. And for that, God, we, we first, we repent. We repent because at the heart of it is a trust issue that, God, we want to trust you more. We want to trust you more. And so, God, we, we repent of the times that we have forgotten who you are and replaced it with fear. And, God, this morning what I ask, I ask that as a church, as a people, that we are able to learn what it means to fear you. to learn what it means to, to fear you and to know who you are, to know the God that we serve, that you are not a small and a puny God, that you are the all-powerful God of the universe and you love us and you've promised us eternity with you and you've promised us that nothing can separate us from you. We get so preoccupied so often with things that are fleeting. God, in this moment, open our eyes to you, the things that are eternal, 
you have something for us this morning. And I believe so many of us are on your table and you are doing a little operation on us right now, teaching us what it means to fear you. I pray that in moments of fear and anxiety that you would stop us, help us push the pause button and remember to redirect our hearts. Remember to take a moment to think of the God who we serve and allow that to just, like it did with David, dispel the fear in our life because you want to deliver us from our fear. And so God, right now, we stand on you. We stand on your foundation. We stand on your peace, on your hope that no one can take away and it's through Christ alone that we have such a hope. Help this realization drive us to a deeper level of worship beyond just an emotion or beyond just head knowledge, but Father, that our whole entire person, I pray that you just bring us together to realize who you are and what you have done. God, as we sing together this this final song, I pray that you just continue your work in our hearts. Continue your work in our hearts. Rewire my brain, Father. Rewire our, our brains. Help us take captive every thought for your glory, for your kingdom, as your children. And it's through your work. Thank you for your son who makes all this possible in Jesus' name.